Welcome to another episode of the Chronically Healing Podcast with Jesse Fritz and Christina Singera. We are back for yet another episode. I always say I'm so excited, but I mean that genuinely. <laughs> and today's episode is one that is near and dear to my heart. I know, Jesse, you weren't on this particular episode, but oh my gosh, sleep freaking apnea. But before we dive into all that, let's just do a quick life update. Mm. Jesse, where are you at? What's going on in your world? Tell us. Yeah, you guys listening are, we don't like skip episodes for you guys, but we haven't recorded with each other for like three or four weeks now. So um, I feel like, I don't know, the last couple of weeks have been strange. Um, I have a cold right now. I know you went through some health stuff too, but uh, I have a cold right now. And like my thyroid for the first time in a couple of years is off. So that sucks. Um, that's new for you. Cause usually that, your numbers, maybe you don't feel stable, but your numbers are usually stable. Yeah. My numbers are usually fairly stable in both my TSH and my, I want to say it's my T3. Now I can't remember, um, changed and sh- my doctor keeps my TSH pretty low, like pretty like borderline hyper, but it helps the rest of my levels even out. So even though I went up in TSH, I'm still within, you know, very, very normal, but for me, it throws me off. So I was having a lot of trouble waking up in the morning and that's a pretty telltale sign for me. Um, that'll be like my first symptom is that I really can't get up in the morning, no matter how much sleep I get. So, um, the only problem is my doctor's in Chicago. So I'm kind of having a communication issue with her of just like getting her to make these changes quickly. So I'm kind of still in the waiting game. I don't know if she's going to change my medication or what we're going to do, but, but yeah, so that was strange. Cause I don't think my thyroid has changed in at least two years. So, um, so I don't really know what happened there, but otherwise I feel like life has just been interesting here. Everything's blooming. So with that comes allergies, <laughs> right. And like, it's beautiful. I'm looking out and all like the trees in our yard are all green and blooming and stuff, but, um, it's been an interesting month, but how have you been doing? I know you've had some stuff happen. <laughs> Ooh, let's see. This could be a whole episode. So I think I'm finally over. I had I had COVID, so mm-hmm. I'll just share that. If you were, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that. Mm-hmm. And it was rough. It was rough. The first um, three days were like, yeah, this is COVID. Mm, <laughs> I yeah. knew it was COVID. Right? <laughs> it was not. It had to be COVID. Yeah. I remember thinking, this is not your mama's flu. <laughs> <laughs> I distinctly, before I even took the test, just from the symptoms being more severe. Anyway, that was fun. For me, I've been struggling since then with lingering fatigue and brain fog. Mm. And Jesse, you know the brain fog, right? We already have brain fog. Jesse and I will mm. have conversations and literally forget what we're saying mid-sentence. And no, it's why it's we have a great podcast. We're like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> so that's just been happening more often. If mm. I'm even just talking to my daughter, husband, and then the fatigue. I now feel so, so understanding and empathetic for people who struggle with chronic fatigue. Mm. I know that chronic fatigue, and I never, I never labeled it as 
someone overreacting, but I know that that is labeled that way often. Oh, you're just fatigued all the time. Right, right. Dude, fatigue sucks. It's mm -hmm. really hard to navigate. And it makes you have like zero zest for life because you're just trying to survive. You're just mm -hmm. trying to like get from the next hour to the next hour without your eyelids closing on you involuntarily. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I really feel for those. So yes, I feel like I'm finally kind of coming into my own and then allergies happen. <laughs> so it's like, okay, cool. I guess I'll just be tired again. <laughs> uh, but on the flip side of that, I'm, I won a scholarship. So I applied mm. for, so Manifestation Babe, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. Oh yeah, I have her book somewhere. Okay, so yeah. I applied for her BIPOC scholarship and mm. I won a scholarship. That's and awesome. this is a multiple thousands of dollar 20 week program. So I was freaking stoked. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been changing my whole life. It's, oh my gosh, I'm unearthing trauma patterns. I'm really starting to understand the science of why it can feel like an uphill battle to really design the life that we desire. It's, it's like manifestation 101, but then she has a science background. So mm -hmm. she integrates mere neurons and neuroplasticity and the Rosenthal effect and quantum entanglement and different concepts that my brain can attach. Mm -hmm. I need equal parts. I can't just do the woo. I also yeah. need a little bit of the science and the, the quantum part of things, the yeah. physics, just to un like really get into it. So that's been freaking amazing. I'm in an accountability group with some awesome people. And I'm just really grateful that I, that I won that, that scholarship. So. That's awesome. I love her. She, I've, I feel like I've followed her on and off throughout the years. I think I bought her book like, oh my gosh, forever ago. And I remember doing a bunch of, um, like the little tasks that are within the book, but I really enjoy following her. She's so that's she's really real. cool. I'm excited. Yeah. She's she real. Mm -hmm. Even on our Q and A's. And by the way, i if I had paid for this, I'm surprised it's not double the price. She herself gets on these Q and A's. She, there's all this live support, live breathwork sessions. It's, <laughs> it's freaking fantastic, but I like that she's real. Yeah. It's not always, oh my gosh, in the clouds and life right. is just beautiful. She, yeah. she keeps it real. She is a positive human, which I enjoy, but it's not that level of positive where it's like a fake plastic right. kind of and now we're just going to grin and bear it. Right. She, she keeps it real. And I really like that about her. So yeah, that's been my main thing going on is unearthing some stuff and learning mm -hmm. and growing and shifting out of this kind of low vibe dominant state that I've lived in for a while. I've been very much so in survival mode the last two years for sure. But then prior to that, I was already living in survival mode. So the, mm -hmm. the COVID thing for the last two years kind of amplified that. Right. Right. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear like what comes from that. And yeah. I love that stuff. <laughs> yes, it's so fun. Okay. So let's jump into this episode that I did with Emma. Mm -hmm. I was actually on her podcast first. And then I was like, you need to be on our podcast because I mm -hmm. want people to learn about sleep apnea and sleep disordered breathing. You know, Jesse, how passionate I am. I'm not the typical profile for sleep apnea, mm -hmm. which is why I think it went misdiagnosed for probably a decade. Right. And it wasn't until I had a doctor who said, you know, that sounds like sleep apnea. For me, I always say I describe it as I would wake up <gasps> gasping for breath, my heart beating really fast, disoriented, don't really know where I am. Classic sleep apnea symptoms, had a sleep study, I stopped breathing 19 times an hour. Whoa. <laughs> so I'm really passionate. Ever since diving into the world of sleep apnea, 
I've learned and met so many people who don't fit the criteria. And Mm. I really feel the criteria needs to shift and evolve and get Mm. bigger because Mm -hmm. so many people go undiagnosed. People have, they usually first have sleep disordered breathing or upper Mm. airway resistance where they're waking frequently, but they might not know it. And then it progresses to that. In the episode, we even talk about how hormonal issues and imbalances are linked to sleep disordered breathing. Mm-hmm. As an example, I, I don't know the exact mechanics of this, but estrogen, when estrogen is low, I believe it causes your airways to collapse more. I can't remember the exact mechanism behind it, but basically hormones can 100% influence sleep disordered breathing as well, mm-hmm. which is why if you notice people going through menopause, sleep mm-hmm. issues are like the number one thing they talk about. All of a sudden right. they're not sleeping, they have insomnia that and I love Emma's she has so much knowledge she herself has been a CPAP user for 14 years and I also like that we talk about that you know I use a CPAP every night people are Mm -hmm. always shocked and I tell them I would rather wear a mask on my face while we're trying to figure out the reasons why I have sleep apnea than wake up gasping and calling 911 every other day right (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I always also tell people my panic attacks disappeared when I started being treated for sleep apnea. Really? I'm going to give myself some credit because I had already started diving into vagus nerve work, but not very heavily. I would do it kind of whenever I remember the theory. We now, we actually know this when people have sleep disordered breathing, they're pumping out stress hormones because their body's like, wake up, wake up, wake up. And what is it? It has to pump those out in order to wake you up. Mm -hmm. And what'll happen is it's almost like you have just extra stress hormones that your body doesn't. And that can lead to feelings of panic. Mm -hmm. Jesse, since being treated, I have not had a panic attack and I had them for over a decade. Yeah. There's definitely a correlation. Yeah. Right. There has to be. So we talk a little bit about that and just so many things. So if you're someone who struggles with sleep, if you're someone who feels like you wake up often throughout the night, get a freaking sleep study. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I always say that, get a sleep study. And I want sleep studies to become more available to more people. I want them to become almost a standard diagnostic test. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, they do have at-home sleep studies, which are significantly cheaper. I had to do one at home and one in the hospital. But I just, I think this episode will be really good for people who wake frequently and they feel like something might be off, but they're not sure what. And they're just really craving some deeper knowledge of sleep disordered breathing beyond just sleep apnea. Yeah. I I really think that was a fun part of the episode. I'm excited to listen to that. I haven't even listened to it yet, but I'm excited. Um, I know my sister who has been helping me edit the podcast has been tested for sleep apnea. I can't remember, um, what happened from that test, but similar, similar story. So it's just, it's one of those things that I think a lot of people deal with and they just assume that it's normal or like they, or they don't know what's happening or, you know, like you said, you're, they're having panic attacks or they're having some other symptom. That's like, you wouldn't like, I, my first thought when I would hear of a panic attack wouldn't be, Oh, it's because you have sleep apnea. Right. Like, so, um, so yeah, it's just interesting because I'm sure there's people out there that'll be able to connect with that. hundred percent. And I'll say one thing about that too. One thing I've learned about the nervous system is so much of, for example, panic attacks, it's a sign that your body is dysregulated and it's trying to find balance. And when you think of something like not getting enough sleep, not getting quality sleep, not breathing in your sleep, 
that is the very definition of dysregulation and your body trying to correct that imbalance. Mm-hmm. So it makes total sense. And the cool part about that is maybe someone, for example, is on a benzo, but they don't need to be. And I'm not anti getting the help you need. I'm just saying, if you don't need to be on something, the less reliance on something, even herbal, the less reliance on something to survive and feel good every day, the better, in my opinion. So if you can actually get to the root of what's going on, and maybe it has less to do with your mind than you realize, maybe it's physiologic. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something to explore for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited to listen to this episode. I hope everybody else listening is too. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Make sure that you head on over to our Facebook group and join over there. I believe it is, um, if you search Chronically Healing Community, it'll pop up. Follow us on Instagram, Chronically Healing Podcast. And I think that's it. But I hope you guys all enjoy this episode. Make sure you review us on Apple if you have the time. And let's dive into this episode. Hello, Emma. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on today. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. We were just talking, what, two weeks ago or something like that when I was on your podcast. So I love that we're getting to come and experience each other's energy again. I want to dive in for our listeners. Who is Emma? So Emma Cooksey. Cooksey, am I saying that right? Yep. Yeah of Sleep Apnea Stories. Sleep Apnea Stories, I've actually been following for a while. And I started following it back when I was diagnosed with sleep apnea, which I know we'll we'll jump into today. One thing I would love for you to do is share a little bit about why you're such a big advocate for sleep apnea, because this is one of those things, kind of like chronic illness, where we talked about this on your episode, how we can become misdiagnosed and just kind of tossed aside in, in the medical world. So why don't you we just jump, jump right into the goods? Tell me okay. why this is a passion for you. Sure thing. And um, this is my favorite subject. So, <laughs> um, so I am now 44, but all during my 20s, I had a whole host of undiagnosed medical issues. So primarily, I would just go to the doctor with you know saying that I just felt overwhelmed and anxious and I definitely got put in that category of like oh this this woman's like dealing with anxiety and that was where the discussion ended right so even though I actually had every single pretty much every single symptom you can have for obstructive sleep apnea I had morning headaches I was tired during the day I had daytime sleepiness all the time and um, I grind my teeth at night I like just pretty much everything you can think of was going on with me but I found a lot of the doctors I saw pretty dismissive and um you know they would just say whatever life stage I was in they would link it to the fact that I was feeling anxious and that was normal because I was you know a young person in my 20s starting a new job or you know someone later in my 20s that had a stressful job um or even when I got into my 30s and I was pregnant with my first daughter they I I went to my own not my OBGYN but I went to my own um regular like um primary healthcare you know person and said I know I'm pregnant I know what you're going to say 
but what's happening to me is not normal. And I am sleeping eight and nine hours at night and I'm still exhausted all day. And I can barely keep my eyes open in the afternoon. And of course they said, we know, but you're pregnant. So that's probably what, you know, people can be really surprised by just how fatigued they feel when they're pregnant. So um, I went away and I had my baby and then I went back again. Um, after my baby um, was sleeping through the night. So she was about six months old at this point. And of course I'd seen the pediatrician and my OBGYN, but I went back to my regular doctor and I said, now that my daughter's, I know I'm a new mom and I know what you're gonna say, <laughs> but now that my baby is sleeping through the night consistently, I still am struggling to keep my eyes open during the day. And they said, you're a new mom. <laughs> that's exhausting. You probably don't realize like, you know, just how tired that can make you. Well, then um, I was literally the week after that doctor's appointment, I was um, visiting my mother-in-law who's about 35 minutes away. I took the baby to go and see her and I was driving back across a really busy bridge. And I had that feeling like um, of falling asleep. And, you know, and I know a lot of people can relate to that. So I'm kind of blowing air in my face and smacking my face and kind of singing songs, doing anything I can think of just to stay awake. And it was a really busy, like four lane bridge. Um, and there was a big truck in front of me. So I kept focusing on the truck's license plate. And it was really, really far away until it wasn't. And it was coming you know in slow motion towards me and I had to slam on my brakes to avoid hitting that truck and so by a miracle there wasn't a crash and we made it off you know safely but I was really shaken up by that and so that's really um how I came to have my diagnosis with, with obstructive sleep apnea because at that point I wasn't taking no for an answer. And I said, there's something wrong with my sleep and I need to have more testing to figure out what's wrong. So then I had my sleep study and they gave me my, my diagnosis. What a freaky memory. As a mom, yeah. I, and I can only imagine feeling incapable of one of the things we're tasked with, which is to keep our child safe, yeah. make sure that they're okay in the world. I've had that exact feeling and I know a lot of people have dealt with that where they feel this tiredness, this extreme tiredness mm -hmm. and it tends to strike and maybe it's, I don't know if it's the lull of the road or what, but I've heard this many times where someone's driving and they feel like they just want to close their eyes and go to sleep mm -hmm. all of a sudden and I can't even begin to imagine just the fact that it took as long as it did, but also that it had to get to that point. And that is something I want to draw out here. If someone is struggling with these extreme fatigue concerns, and we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, different things that we experience at night that can lead us to think we might have sleep apnea. We talked on my episode with you about how sleep apnea and sleep disorder breathing are really common. And do you think that they've become so common that it's almost kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like, for example, when I went in, they kind of said, well, so I have mild to moderate sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. So they kind of wrote off the first five events. No big deal. Everyone has five events per hour. And the first thought I had was, well, I don't want to be having any events. I don't care if it's normal. Right. I don't want to have a cessation of breathing right. and my, my oxygen saturation dropping, period. I don't care if it's normal, right? Yeah. 
So do you think that part of this is it's become so common that they almost, I don't know if they don't know what to do with the amount of volume. Why do, why do we have to fight so hard for so, the sleep apnea diagnosis? So that's one of my favorite topics is this thing of mild to moderate sleep apnea. So I was diagnosed with moderate sleep apnea. So the scale goes from, you're absolutely right. So up to five they don't really want to talk to you about any and that's per hour that's yeah, not so per just night explain to people who aren't familiar listening so we're talking about what's called the apnea hypopnea index and what that measures is how many times you completely stop breathing so um that's an apnea or a hypopnea is you get a, a fall in your oxygen saturation of a certain amount. So they'll say, you know, you have an AHI um, of one would mean that that's happening one time an hour, right? That you're stopping breathing, your brain's sending the message that you stop breathing because it doesn't have enough oxygen. It sends adrenaline and cortisol and all the different stress hormones to wake you up. And so if you're doing that five times an hour, depending on your now, there are people who can pretty much sleep through that, but I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. So if you um, have, if your arousal threshold um, is such that you wake up every time, that means you're waking up five times an hour. And medical doctors aren't really, they're just going to go, well, you're, in, you're within normal range. So, oh, well, right. But that's, I totally agree with you because to me, we want to get to the root of like, why is that happening? Um, and so I think there are a lot of people, and since I started my podcast, there are a lot of people in this situation where normally they wouldn't be um, prescribed a CPAP if their AHI was under 10. Oh my well, gosh. The, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine. So, so there's people with AHIs that are seven and eight. Struggling. Who are really struggling with the quality of their life. And they're just being told, well, you know, that that's not really, it doesn't fit. Of course, it's all to do with what medical insurance will pay for. Sure. So people find themselves just kind of desperate to figure this out, but with very few options apart from mm. becoming an expert themselves and really figuring it out. <laughs> that I, I was thinking about that too, when I, so when I was, on this whole journey, and I'm sure you remember this, uh, when we first get diagnosed, it's like you advocated to get there, right? You advocated to get to the sleep study, and then you have to advocate for the treatment depending on how severe or not severe your results are. Yes. And I think what blew my mind most is I, like you, I tend to be really hypersensitive to those breathing episodes. Mm -hmm. So I will wake up pretty much every time on the tail end of that breathing episode. And, but I want to talk about the people that you mentioned. Those are the ones that aren't waking up. This is the common sleep apnea profile. It's that person who wakes up in the morning. Like you said, they're exhausted. Uh, Morning headache is really common. Mm -hmm. And they just feel like they're dragging through mud all day long. They'll start taking supplements. Maybe they take some iron. Maybe they take some B12. And they do all these things. And it could be rooted back to this. And they simply haven't ruled it out. And yeah. One of the reasons I wanted you on this podcast is sleep apnea is very intimately connected to chronic illness, and it's very intimately connected more so to hormonal issues and Mm -hmm. thyroid being a big one. Yep. 
So it's my thought. I, I, you know, I wish everyone could just have a sleep study. I don't care yes. what your insurance is. Let's just yes. get you a sleep. You get a sleep study. You get a sleep, sleep study. studies for all. Yes, you get one, you know, yeah. because I wonder, I wonder how many chronically ill slash thyroid patients slash hormone, especially perimenopausal, menopausal. I wonder so how many. many of these people, it's yeah. not a deficiency in a certain vitamin or mineral so much as it's they're not breathing in their sleep. Yes. And, well, I wanted to mention that too. You talked about how when you when it happened for a long time, you started to feel like you're like you still don't feel like your brain ever fully recovered, mm -hmm. because brain fog is another super common thing. But we can touch on that in a second. What were you going to say? So, so brain fog. Sorry, can I just? Yeah, no, oh, let's dive in for sure. Um, yeah. So brain fog. I think people. Uh, I don't know. I've heard people be very dismissive of people talking about brain fog mm -hmm. but i interviewed a woman um called karen walk who very early on in my podcast who has she lives in california she was going through her days effectively like losing cognition like she got to the point where they diagnosed her with a mild cognitive impairment but like this whole idea of mild, moderate and severe doesn't really mean that much to me. But like she got to the point where she wasn't able to remember her boyfriend's name for mm. parts of the day. Right. And didn't recognize family members. And so they and they also just told her, like, we don't see this getting better. It's probably just going to um, get worse until it becomes full on dementia. And she was not an old woman. She's like in her 40s. And so um, once she got diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea and got treatment, that, I mean, a lot of that went away to the point where she was, you know, functioning well again and able to work and, and all this stuff. But I think it just goes to show like how serious, like this kind of idea of brain fog, it doesn't sound that serious, but like, you know, it gets a little bit more serious and it's a cognitive impairment, right? Mm. So the brain fog that I struggle with um, still, I think is owing to those more than 10 years where I wasn't getting enough oxygen to my brain. So for a long time, um, there's a lot of blamey, shamey feelings, I think, around uh, there's something wrong with me but medical professionals are telling me there's nothing wrong with me. And so it becomes this thing where it's a mental health um, problem where they say, well, you have anxiety and depression. Well, yeah, I do. But like, there's no doubt to me that the underlying cause of that was obstructive sleep apnea because mm -hmm. I was never well rested. So I just felt overwhelmed and exhausted and anxious all the time mm -hmm. so i think that you get into this thing where you start almost like blaming yourself because you feel like well they're telling me that there's nothing really that wrong with me and so brain fog is one of those things where especially after i began treatment on cpap and i was getting oxygen to my brain at night i felt significantly better i wasn't falling asleep at the wheel but some of the things i would do a lot would be, you know, I would go to the grocery store and I would take in like three of my five bags and leave the other two bags just sitting there. And I would get to dinner time and I would be like, oh, I'm sure that I bought this, this and this. 
and then I'd realize I just like completely like you know blanked and just like didn't take them out the car and and those kind of things you know when they happen enough you start to think well like maybe because that's the kind of thing where you think oh I'm so silly like why did I do that you know and and you kind of like laugh it off but when it's become such a thing that you live with you're like well I think that there's a reason for that and I think it's the lack of oxygen for all those years I completely agree. And, and it's so I love that we say wait into brain fog because brain fog is I would if I I would actually probably say it's the number one symptom that I see with chronic illness slash thyroid patients mm -hmm. brain fog. And I to your point, one of the reasons I think that brain fog is misunderstood or mislabeled or what have you is it's a little bit vague. So when we hear mm -hmm. brain fog, it presents itself in different ways for different and people. And it's almost a funny name. It is. So, like, what the heck is brain fog? Yeah. I, I imagine a brain right. literally filling up you with fog. Find, like a clinical thing that's no, actually wrong no. with you. Yeah. Yeah. But I love that you just described some of the things because that when I try to say brain fog, some people are like, well, what does that mean? I think I have brain fog, but I'm not sure. Some yeah. other things that I use to describe brain fog, for me personally, it's forgetting mid-sentence what I'm saying. Yeah. So I might be having a conversation with someone and then I just completely lose my train of thought. Yeah. I could be mid-sentence, I have my my thought on the end of that sentence, and then I just lose it, like the bridge splits yeah. in half, and I, I don't even know what I was saying. Which makes it really tricky, like podcasting. <laughs> yeah, right? I have I do have some notes that I write down while yes. the person is speaking, yeah. just so that I don't lose that train of thought. Yeah. But that happens often. I, like you, will forget things. I'm, I'm notorious for hubby asked me to take something out for dinner and defrost it. I will not remember to do that. He yes. gets home and we don't have dinner because I yeah. forgot to do that really simple task. And I mean, for me, like it's, it's just things like, it, this sounds ridiculous, but my daughter plays volleyball and she'll say, hey, I need this shirt for um, team pictures tonight. And so I feel like other people would just go, okay. And they would remember to do that I literally have to write that in my google calendar like with a time <laughs> and sometimes a reminder yes right? did you yeah. wash that shirt did you dry it mm. is it right you know because otherwise things like that just kind of float away and I just don't get to them which is difficult because I'm kind of at heart like a bit of an overachiever like I'm mm -hmm. trying not to be yeah but like certainly I'm you know back in you know my early 20s I was just kind of like what what can I achieve and yes <laughs> you know? so I think that sometimes that I kind of struggle with that wow I have to write that down but I do well and I, I want to give you some credit I do want to give you some credit I want to give all of us credit I th I believe that this is twofold one I think brain fog absolutely exists but two we do live in a very masculine dominant hustle culture yes. where we are tasked with remembering more information than we've yes. ever been tasked with we have how many I don't know if you do this I'm just going to give you an example of how silly I can be I will be watching a movie and I'll just randomly Google the actor like, why does it freaking matter who's in this movie? Why? There's just useless information that yes. we have at our, that clogs our brain that we don't really need. So I think it's a little but bit you of know that, that it's, You know that it's right there at your fingertips yes. all the time. And so I, I, that is so true. Like, you know, 
being more mindful with my phone would definitely help me. <laughs> I think but, those with brain fog have to reduce stimulation yes, I so think that so they have the the landscape to think yeah. clearly and go through that process a little bit more slowly than the average person. I agree with you. And I also think that um, boil down, like when you look at your to-do list, do you really have to get all those things done today? Because mm, usually yes. you don't. Yes. Right. So you kind of boil it down to like, well, what do I absolutely have to do? I have to feed my children. Yes. You know, like <laughs> it, it's it's kind of like that helps me for sure. Like, you know, if if I had to do that other thing tomorrow, like because I definitely um, well, we can talk about this a bit more, but I've been on CPAP for 14 years. Yeah, we'll definitely dive into that during that time. So there are people who feel wonderful on CPAP. And then there are people who just can't make it work. And then mm. there's people like me kind of in the middle where I'm really compliant. I use my CPAP every night. Um, I'm definitely getting the oxygen to my brain, but I don't consider, like, I don't think that I sleep well, right? Yeah, so right. I definitely still consider myself coping with an ongoing chronic health condition. And, yeah. you know, maybe some some days are better than others and some days i will need to take a nap just to make it through and mm -hmm. um, so i think that's you know i try to i mean it is partly what you're talking about with hustle culture and expecting to get so much done but also just being reasonable with yourself like i'm exhausted i didn't sleep well this is not going to be my day <laughs> and you know realizing that you know uh i mean my my husband will kind of always do everything in percentages he's just like you can just give it a 22 percent today like you know oh, i love you don't, that you don't need to show up at 110 every day like mm. you know if all i have to really get done is feed my children mm. do some loads of laundry you know and and make one drive to drop off a child at some practice then I'll just be like okay that's what I'm doing today and the other things can wait till another day where I feel significantly better and you know I can knock out a bunch of stuff that I want to do but I, I completely agree. And I had that week last week. I had a whole week of that. And it for me, it always happens around my period. We know that women used to go into literal red tents during their period and they would be pampered and loved and nurtured and rest. And, and, rest. and we yeah. don't get that anymore. We're just expected to stay at the same pace. And I found myself resisting expectations, feeling really frustrated with any expectations of any kind on my time. Yeah. I was just really snappy and anytime that happens when I when I see where I'm at in my cycle it always makes perfect sense because I'm trying to push forward in a season of rest yes. restoration and this season is you know three to five days at most I've really tried to honor that more but I I sometimes still stack that list but last week to your point I washed the towels my kid is fed and bathed <laughs> check you know it was enough. right i did that yeah. bare minimum but it's not even bare minimum because i think that's the other thing is we often equate our production to our worthiness and this is a little bit of a tangent yes. but i see this a lot we, we this is equate, one of my favorite subjects oh my gosh right because we equate how much we produce to how worthy we are of rest of mm -hmm. relaxation of even just existing i see people my husband went through this he went through this this crisis of self because he had stepped away from what he was doing for a living mm -hmm. and he didn't 
find the things that light him up. He has now done that, but he was struggling to find what lights him up as a human being. Mm-hmm. And I, I introduced the concept of Dharma to him and I was explaining your Dharma is something that can be expressed in a variety of ways. It can be expressed as a dad just as much as it can be expressed as an entrepreneur, right? Yes. So that's something I, I'm super passionate about. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I love that. Well, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown and her whole thing of like oh, yeah. productivity is not self-worth. Yes. Um, and I think for so many of us, just just because of like the generational thing, the way that we were raised uh, was very much like, what have you achieved today? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, right. what are you doing? How are yes. you, you know, making your living? So I have definitely done a lot of work around that just kind of almost deprogramming that and realizing that if you're pushing (laughs) against things like I think we talked a little bit before about how I worked for a short a very short time in a commercial litigation department so I originally studied law and that I'm a creative um (laughs) empathetic very um emotional and and just kind of like people kind of person and being thrust into that environment just was a complete like didn't fit at all and so I think that that's quite often when the health problems come out because you're trying to jam a circle into a square or you know it's just not the right thing and it's taken me so long really to get to a point where it turns out being a podcaster and doing some writing and, you know, connecting with lots of other people with chronic illnesses like I have, you know, that's kind of my ideal thing. And mothering is a huge part of why I'm here for sure. And so I think that it's maybe just moving into like some sort of acceptance of, um, you know, I don't have to be achieving 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 all the time you know it like did I love my children did I you know like take care of the things that had to happen and that's enough but it's an honest if I'm honest with you it's a daily challenge yes because I think that that programming is so ingrained like Mm -hmm. not only in the way that we're raised but in what everybody else is doing yes so you feel a little bit like you're the only one. <laughs> yeah, we're social creatures. Yeah. We, we want to yeah. be in community with others. And when we're in community with others who are in that hustle culture mentality, it can feel strange to be separate from the pack. That's mm-hmm. that's the opposite of how we want to feel as human beings. Yeah. We want to feel connected. Well, I definitely we, you know, feel that a lot of the time. But. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I when I set boundaries, I feel strange sometimes. Yeah. But I have to remember that I have to stand in my boundaries because that person isn't living in my body. But I often feel strange. For example, when I tell people, you know, I'm off on these days, I do not look at my phone at all on these days. Yes. Sometimes I get Yeah, go you. And then other times, it, it's almost this, oh, okay, well, you know, and I have because, to be okay with that. People feel like, well, why is she doing that? Right. Like, is it okay to do that? <laughs> like, I, I think that's really what it is at the end of the day. I think yeah. in their head, they're wondering, right. is that a, is, is that acceptable? And if so, yeah. how do I have some of that? Yeah. <laughs> how, how can I have that acceptable. in my life? Yeah, it's it's one of those, like, I, I kind of learned early on, like, why am I opening up times? Like, 
so now I have it so that like there's a couple of days a week where I definitely just don't have anything right after lunchtime to allow me to nap if I need to. Yeah. And so that's just a kind of, you know, making it through <laughs> um, supporting my health decision. But like, I think it is one of those, those things where people are like, well, there's nothing in your diary for that. Can we just do it then? And I'm like, no, no, sorry. I have yeah. a standing appointment with my couch and my pillow. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the things that like, this sounds really flippant and silly, but like one of the things that has really helped me was marrying my husband because mm. my husband is, a master relaxer and he I have you know invested in all sorts of like meditation retreats and yoga and um, read all the books done all the work uh, done all the therapy my husband's done none of that but he just came to this world as somebody who can just relax like he's either working and even when he's working he looks pretty relaxed um, and I'll say to him, like, he'll be sitting at the breakfast table, just gazing out to the, the backyard. And I'll, and I'll be like, what are you thinking about? And he'll be like, I'm just watching those ducks. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, if I was watching ducks, I would be writing a, a list of what I have to do that day. And, you know, so it's a constant reminder to me of like, just be where you are right now. Mm, I'm and chuckling because I do done. that too. I'm chuckling yeah. because I do that too. And yeah. my husband, like your husband, is really good at kind of being in the moment. And I have literally, is something wrong? Are you okay? You're yeah. just staring into space. Is everything okay? Yeah. And I and I think that also speaks to that default. I, I think part of it could be related to when we had this traumatic experience for so many years in by way of not breathing in our sleep, it yes. put our nervous system into a hyper aroused state. So we have to actively work to combat that yes. default state of, oh, there's danger because we spent for how many years, how many hours on per night alert. with our body going, wait, there's a bear, hold on. Yeah. And I don't think that wiring goes away quickly. I think it takes years to recover from. And I don't want that to yeah. seem defeating. Like I don't want someone to be like, great. Right. So when I start treating my sleep apnea, now I'm just gonna deal with my anxiety forever. But I do think, because what what will happen is you'll have milestones. So, you know, you'll have, for me, it was less panic attacks, right? right? And then less, and then less, and then I just didn't have them anymore. Which is and, awesome. Right. So you do ascend, but it does take time. It's taken me a solid two years to get to a place where my nervous system is not so on all the yes. time in that, like, yes. scanning for threats. But I also wanted to mention what you said about trying to multitask, because I do this all the time. I, I need to stop doing this. Even during my workout. I'll have my workout up on my screen and then I'll have a podcast playing in the background and it's why do I need to do all of those things at one time or when I'm cooking I will have a podcast well what about just listening to music I love podcasts let me be clear I, I'm a podcaster but so do I right? but... We try to multitask too much I feel like I'm always taking information in yes and I'm never actually given the space to process the information even when I'm driving 
I, I hadn't listened to music in forever. It was yeah. always something informational that I could learn. Yeah. And I, I was, I had this thought the other day, I had started listening to music on the way home and it was so nice. And we know, know. that singing activates your vagus nerve, which yes. gets you calm and into your parasympathetic. So it was a really good reminder. We really have to have that balance of consumption and then also processing and just being. So I love yes. that your hubby does that naturally because he's such a good reminder each day for you. Yeah, I, I think so. And so there are certain habits like I've, I've definitely over the last year, I used to always because I walk every single day whether I want to go or not. Me too. I will be grudgingly <laughs> yeah. be out there in the cold. Like, yeah, ah. so I. no matter what the weather's like, I go every morning and I do at least two and a half miles. And that's Dang, girl, how long does it take you? About 40 minutes. Oh, that's but not bad. You rock fast. Yeah. But it's like, um, for me, that's, that's just, a it's a mental health thing aside from anything, yes. being outside yes. in nature. Ugh. But I used to definitely take my, um, you know, phone with me and ear pods and I'd be listening to a podcast and doing all the Guilty. things and taking photos so that I could post about my walk and all of this. So about a year ago, I just was like, actually, what if I just <laughs> walk in nature and I don't have my phone? And that's been a lot better, a lot better for me. And you can always so, get that B-roll later. You can get yourself walking yeah. and that could be, yeah. you, you don't have to actually have it be on your walk. You could, yeah. and for those listening, I mean, B-roll is- plenty of podcasts and I'm learning stuff, yeah. know, especially if I'm doing laundry or something totally mindless. But I find like on the walk, that just gives me one time a day where I just let my mind wander and I yes. just try and actually be where I'm at. <laughs> I need to do that because I had gotten into habit stacking, which I really love habit stacking, but I will so say- I do too. Right, and that can that can be a double-edged sword because then you're stacking yeah. everything and you're not giving your brain any space. So I find myself, for example, being on walks and then you know, answering questions or whatever it is. And yeah. I started thinking, so I go on two per day, I break it up. I, I, I said to myself, I think I need at least one of my walks to just be a walk. Yeah. And I notice the birds and the chirping mm -hmm. and the whatever. Yeah. And then the other walk can be habit stacky. But to your point, yeah, I do feel like that feeling of just being dialed in all the time. Mm -hmm. And when we already deal with brain fog, that's just, you know, one other yeah. hiccup for us and our, our brains. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever, have you heard of, um, Laurie Santos, I think she's at Yale University. And that she sounds did, so familiar. She did a, um, she has a podcast. Um, oh, I'm going to get it wrong. So, um, it might be The Happiness Project. That sounds right. I've heard The Happiness so Project. She, um, or that might be Gretchen Rubin. That's Gretchen cool. Rubin. That might okay. be Gretchen Rubin. So Laurie Santos is one. It might be something to do with well-being. I can't remember. So okay. anyway, she does this free course that anybody can take um online um you just go to like yale like just google yale and uh laurie santos and i went through that and it's a six-week course and it's to do with how the things that you think make you happy don't make you happy mm. so it's it's really realizing and digging into the research that people who earn a lot of money aren't necessarily happy yes people who um you know are are doing you know so a lot of the things she's talking about are getting adequate sleep yes. and being outside and one of the things i love the most is she's talking about just interactions with strangers 
which sounds really strange because I feel like we move through our lives like not really interacting with strangers much we don't especially in COVID times we look down right and we don't even make eye contact I've, I've actually noticed the last year when I haven't been listening to podcasts while I'm walking just the fact of not having headphones in people talk to you more yes you'll be like hey how's your day and and it doesn't even really matter for your brain to get that hit of connection and lifting your spirits it can just be like nice weather today how's your dog but that's become part of my morning Mm. walk for sure I love that and I and I I think that that's really powerful that connection we need it Yeah. Do you know you did like a study where they made people talk to each other on trains and people were like, that sounds awful. I don't want to do that. (laughs) And then it turned out that they actually, when they rated their happiness, they felt better. Of course. Having made made the connection. Well, like you were saying, we are really social. We're really social. And, and I don't know, do you know your neighbors? I know my neighbors for the first time ever. I didn't used to know my neighbors. I lived in the same place for five or six years and I saw them a few times at most. This neighborhood, my kid literally goes and they used to watch their grandkids until they were five. So they love having her over. They'll watch her for a few minutes while I go run an errand. It's a totally different vibe than what I have ever experienced, but I love it. I really do. I I enjoy it. And I feel so much safer even just knowing Mm -hmm. that I have actual friends, you know, living next to me. So I'm with you Um, on that. There's pros and cons. I mean, (laughs) I mean, I I seem to do laundry for all sorts of random kids and have like (laughs) a lot of, you know, extra mess to feed at dinner time, but it's okay. I'll get used. I'm sure that'll happen as she gets older. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's fine. Like, it's like you said, like, I kind of like to know, you know, she'll be like, can I go over there? And I'll be like, sure. Cause I know them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's a bit different from like city living or whatever, like we did before. I want to pivot to a couple things. The first is I want to actually step back when you talked about nature. One of the things that I believe when it comes to sleep apnea and any kind of sleep disorder breathing, which I want to touch on in a second. One of the things I think is, okay, we have that initial crisis where we realize there's a problem. We start getting treatment. To your point, the treatment is not always that cure-all. Just like when I say to thyroid patients, taking that thyroid medication is probably not going to be the only thing that helps you feel better. If anything, it takes you to baseline so that you can do the work. Yes. It actually works. So when I think of things like nature, that goes back to the nervous system. When I think of things like connection, that goes back to the nervous system. When we think of things like balance. And so you're doing all of these things on your journey that further help regulate that nervous system that had been dysregulated for so many years. And nature is one of the best ways to do it. But I'm curious about your thoughts on this before we dive into, because I wanted to ask you something specific to the sleep apnea slash disordered breathing. But I'm curious um, if you think that so many people go into nature and they're like, "Eh, whatever, I went on a walk. I used to think that way until I changed the way that I 
went into the experience. So I started coming into it with a feeling of gratitude. I started coming into it with a feeling of curiosity. Oh, look at those leaves. Look at that tree. Mm. Look at the freaking branches on that thing. Like if you look at the average tree, it is amazing, right? I started looking at the clouds and the different formations in the sky. So do you think a lot of it has, for for those who might be struggling to embrace Mm -hmm. getting outside more, I'm just curious if you, what your thoughts are. Do you think a lot of it is going into it with that gratitude and that curiosity and just kind of not having a bunch of expectations can really help you start to love and appreciate nature more? I think so. I mean, I think that um, it's, it's about noticing what's already there, right? You can take the same walk a million times, but if you are actually looking at how the leaves are turning and right it looks completely different so my husband I walk the same um I would say route you would say route um (laughs) every day I'm walking the same circle but to me it looks very different depending on like the season or what's happening and like I actually had this about um maybe a month ago it just got very cold which is unusual for Florida and the grass got these tiny um it looked like dew drops but when I actually looked they were frozen and I was walking first thing in the morning and it was this tiny patch and the rest of the grass was totally normal and I ran back to my house and I grabbed my nine-year-old and I'm like come and look at this you know frozen you know grass and everything but I think that if you're not paying attention those kind of delightful small things that kind of make your day and you know you miss them so Yeah, oh, I love that you said that. It. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and life is made up of those small moments, which is how I think one of, one of my thoughts on depression and anxiety is it's like a puzzle. We start losing touch with those small moments, plus this, plus this, plus this. And then it's a recipe for it's like you bake that cake and put yeah. it in the oven, you know? Yeah. Um, I wanted to pivot to I want to really I want our listeners to leave with a really clear picture. of. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, so just before you were kind of mentioning about CFAP, so I did want to just cover that there are alternatives. Oh, to yeah. CFAP. Yeah. No, I wanted to first have us talk okay. about the difference between sleep apnea and sleep disordered breathing. Okay. And then I want to jump into the treatment because there's so many okay. different things we can I just, do. I just feel like sometimes people don't realize like, you know, oh, yeah. there's more than there's more than a breathing machine. Had this isn't working, what else is, you know, and all that. So, um, yeah, so sleep disorder breathing is a great catch-all term, which basically means any sort of breathing at night, which is not normal. (laughs) So if you're stopping breathing or your breathing is restricted in any way, that's sleep disorder breathing. And so that can look like, um, I interviewed uh, an ENT on my um, podcast, And he was saying in children, sleeping with an open mouth is sleep disordered breathing. That's not normal. You should be breathing through your nose with your lips sealed. And so I think that that's quite shocking to people. But but the reason is like then that is seen as the beginning because that certainly happened to me as a child, right? So I started off mouth breathing. And then that became snoring and then that became sleep apnea. Not that people have to snore to have sleep apnea, but that can be a, a common progression. Um, so another thing that a lot of people have is upper airway resistance syndrome. And so that 
I really hate it when doctors make risk factors like how they think of things because anyone can have upper airway resistance syndrome, but doctors will label that as young, fit and female. So a lot of, you see a lot of women who are really fit and they're like, why am I sleeping so badly? And so upper airway resistance syndrome essentially means rather than having the complete collapse or obstruction of their airway, it's a narrowing of their airway. So their, their oxygen saturation is still dropping. So they're still feeling terrible and like, you know, often will have a lot of arousals and, and just don't sleep well, right? But so those people have the worst time of getting a diagnosis and treatment because they will go and have a sleep study and the sleep tech will be looking for sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, no, you, you don't have sleep apnea. And so it's quite difficult sometimes to get a diagnosis with upper airway resistance syndrome. So that's another, so basically sleep disorder breathing is anything where your breathing at night is interrupted or um, you don't get as much oxygen as you need. That Does that kind of explain it? It totally does. And I, I wanted to talk about it or I wanted to make sure we mentioned it because I, I actually know a couple of people personally who deal with that yeah. and they feel really tired all the time one of them actually had a sleep study, oxygen sat, should not drop below, I think it's like 93, 95. Yeah. Theirs was getting into the mid eighties. Yeah. But because they didn't have enough apneas or hypopneas or all the different metrics, it wasn't considered a big deal. And I'm like, yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, and then they also deal with brain deal. fog too. So I wanted yes. to mention that for those that, who might need to advocate stronger for themselves. Yes. Um, and then can you, before we talk about treatment options, I would love for you to just list out what are some of the common symptoms? We talked about brain fog. I'm curious, what are some of the common symptoms of the actual event that you may have experienced? And I can touch on mine as well. Yeah, A lot of sure. people, they have these kind of strange nocturnal events that they don't mm -hmm. know is sleep apnea, for example. So the, the biggest thing that I um, always noticed was how I would feel first thing in the morning. So I would definitely have apnea so when you have an apnea it's different for different people the experience of it but for me um i would stop breathing and then my brain would send a message to my body like we're not getting enough oxygen here's a bunch of stress hormones to wake you up so you start breathing and so i would definitely wake up multiple times at night but i wouldn't be aware of like what had happened or why i would just think oh i'm not sleeping very well i keep waking up but then in the morning, I would have a feeling of um, my chest pounding, like almost, you know, I always say like you're running from a bear, you know, but that really yes. terrified, like pounding chest. And I just would feel very anxious and very um, doom and gloom and yeah just terrible like, and the day just started <laughs> and nothing had happened right? right this was literally when i first opened my eyes lying in bed i would mm. feel that way yes so i think that um knowing the physiological reason for that the, the fact that you um because of course people have anxiety and you know deal with that as well but this is feels different to regular kind of anxiety and depression where you don't feel good and you don't want to get out of bed, but this is more like um, all of your 
adrenaline's going and your nervous system is totally, you know, trying to cope with it. And yeah, so that's kind of, I mean, my experience, I think, is definitely not the the nighttime. I know some people experience like the gasping. That's me. And waking up gasping at night. And, and I don't really remember, do, I, I think I was just like, then falling straight back asleep and then waking up again and then falling mm-hmm. back straight asleep. And so I don't think I could pinpoint that that was what was happening, that it was something to do with my breathing at all. It's mainly that feeling in the morning that I was like, this is not normal. Yeah. Yeah. And mine was, mine was <gasps> chest beating. I yes. would look at my, I have a, a Fitbit and my heart rate would be 170 just standing there, which is terrifying by yes. the way, for your heart yes. rate to be that fast. You, it literally feels like you're going to have a heart attack. Yeah. I would breathe fire. I call it breathing fire. So when I would breathe, my throat would be so hot, which has to be something to do with stress hormones. I had many yeah. instances where I had to call 911. Of course they said I just had a panic attack because they didn't know. And it's know. not just you. Like, I mean, I, I definitely, heard a bunch of people where they're being told they have they're having panic attacks yes you know and and yeah it's definitely it's terrifying yeah I mean, you, get, you start like... to become afraid to fall asleep which is really yeah. terrible because sleep is what we need to yes. feel better yeah yeah so I, I just i just wanted to talk about that a little bit because i think there are people that might be listening who have a after listening to this who they might think yeah oh that's me those symptoms yeah i think I that would could love be that me. to happen that's why we're here <laughs> yeah I, one other symptom i want to mention is for me i would wake up dis- so sometimes i wouldn't actually wake up gasping mine progressed from waking up really disoriented in the middle of the night to gasping to just full-on just tachycardia craziness yes Prior to that, I would wake up and still do sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I fall asleep on the couch without my CPAP if maybe I'm watching a movie and I always regret it because boy, do I feel the reminder of why I use my CPAP. But I'll wake up and I feel completely disoriented. I don't know really where I am feels foreign. Like my Mm -hmm. husband might be right next to me and even he feels foreign to me for a second. Mm -hmm. I I feel- It's almost like you have to come to- Yes. Yes. It's like I'm almost still kind of asleep. And I feel this sense of panic and doom that is is very unsettling. And then I kind of settle and it takes about 20 minutes for those stress hormones to metabolize. So I wanted to mention that too, just in so case anyone. I I it. never ever fall asleep without my CPAP, but a big chunk oh, of good. it is that my nine-year-old, like if I just close my eyes, my nine-year-I'll wake up and my nine-year-old will be like right in my face. Oh, I going, love that. Are you going to sleep? Are you putting your CPAP on? That is so like, cute. Yeah, I'm my. I think because she's heard me talk so much about. Yeah. the devastating consequences of and they really are apnea, they really right? are so i've interviewed people who you know um one woman who sadly lost her husband and a lot of that was owing to a stroke he had after having undiagnosed sleep apnea oh. and so the risks of stroke and heart attack are much higher in people with undiagnosed or untreated sleep apnea yes um so because my daughter's just kind of like absorbed all that information she's just like well you have to put your seat on oh my god that's you know so i don't want though. those things to happen so yeah. really the only time i will fall asleep I have a tough time. I don't really sleep well on planes anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a tough time with overnight flights because, um, you know, I will have that feeling. I will, you know, have apneas if I fall asleep um, or traveling in the car. 
yes sometimes but usually those scenarios at least your um positional um the the position you're in can be important with sleep apnea yes so being upright causes less usually in a lot of people causes less apneas than being flat especially on your back so the car and the plane it's not quite as bad just because I'm upright yes but yeah those are really the only scenarios where I still have to deal with that but I don't love it it's not the best no I'm a bad girl I some I am (laughs) working on this I always tell myself I'm not going to fall asleep I'm not gonna fall asleep and it's almost like sitting down to watch something at night has become a trigger for my body to want to sleep yeah (laughs) and so and I don't even remember falling asleep well obviously we never do but I'll just one minute I'm asleep or awake and then the next minute last night I was watching The Bachelor and I was I I, I kind of laid down like you know you kind of just get snuggly yeah and I'm like I'm not gonna fall asleep I'm just relaxing and then I wake up 20 minutes later and there's like a whole new show on the TV so yeah that's I gotta good though that, that means you're really relaxed yes because uh, I've done so much work on my nervous system yes. for sure and that's yes good. my body feels, feels like safe to sleep yeah unless I have too many I don't of those. think I'm there yet honestly Christina. <laughs> It takes so much time. I had to I I had to overcome fear of dying in my sleep. I had yes. to really overcome yeah. this this really And I'm like fear. my bedtime routine looks very similar to if I was like a toddler. <laughs> Me, because we got to do we got to do. <laughs> I'm like, you know, warm bath, only candles on, like mm. sun setting, yeah. not screens, like, you know, and then I'll mess it up by going to put my daughter to bed. And yes. then it'll be lights again. And then, you know, I go to bed. But like, if I'm not doing all that stuff, I would find it really difficult to actually move into relaxation. Sympathetic. Yeah. My, my, my saving grace, I talk about this all the time, is my acupressure mat. It is so amazing how much it calms me down. So much so that I always That's fall good. asleep on it and unintentionally because I yeah. always say, I'm just going to do it for 20 minutes before bed and then I conk out because there are acupressure points along your spine and yes. your neck that help you relax. And Mm. it's like, I get acupuncture every single night. It's freaking amazing. I talk about my mat all the time. Yeah, I go for acupuncture. I definitely fall asleep on the table. And then you have the whole balance between uh, it's doing me a lot of good and and calming me down and and helping me to rest and relax. But then I'll, if I actually fall asleep, then I wake up gasping. I know. That's so it. it's kind of like, well, it was <laughs> worth it. But yes. yeah, I'm with I just, you. I, I don't think I'm quite at the point where I want to rock up with my CPAP. And <laughs> I know. It's like, I'm going to have to just wear this during my, my time here. And yeah. Uh, yeah, just accept that. Thank you. Yeah. I want to make sure we do touch on treatment options because yeah. to your point, not everyone has to wear this mask. You and I embraced it with open arms because yes. we were really tired of suffering and I yes. was not about to suffer for one more second. No, same. And hey. but I know that not everyone some people maybe they're willing to wait that extra time and really go into different treatment modalities. So yeah. what are some of the top ones that you see? So I'm so glad you asked me because this is one of the reasons I started my podcast because I am had been a CPAP user for 14 years. And so I always had this feeling of isolation and loneliness that I was the only person, you know, with sleep apnea or using a CPAP. I would kind of hear about someone's uncle who had sleep apnea, but nobody kind of, you know, like no other mom with young kids or anything. And so then gradually over time, I, a mixture of like reading some articles, like 
you know, on Google, you know, find things and be like, oh, there's a dental appliance that people can use to treat sleep apnea. Hmm. Um, but part of me was like, oh, I, you know, my dentist never mentioned that. I don't really know what that is. And then I also read something about the Inspire Implant um, hypoglossal nerve stimulator thing. Um, so that's like a, um, a little implant they do in people's chest and they run a wire, like a tiny wire. So up. crazy. I know. And then it stimulates your tongue to move out of your airway when you breathe in or inspire. <laughs> what the is hell? Is that is inspire. so weird. I know. It's so weird. So, but, so I read that and I was like, this is crazy. Like, how do I, like, I just went to my doctor and they said, you need a CPAP. And they didn't discuss any other options. And I just think that most patients want to be given every single option and then the doctor to say I really think this is the best for you and you probably are going to go okay but like you know to have all the options is a great thing so the the main alternative that most people I think have heard of now is this oral appliance therapy so essentially what it does is it moves your lower jaw or your mandible forward at night to, to sort of like take the soft tissue out of your airway to keep that airway open, essentially. So there's pros and cons, right? So the CPAP, the data is better in terms of the CPAP is going to definitely keep your airway open and works, providing people are, you know, actually using it, it works. But the statistics are that a lot of people are compliant to begin with, or they just a lot of people don't even start, right? They just don't want to wear a mask. So there's a lot of people that that leaves out, right? Who have either, you know, have claustrophobia with their mask or they can't get the pressure right. They don't feel comfortable. It just doesn't fit, right? So for those people, um, it's only mild and moderate. Severe people usually are, are not recommended oral appliance therapy. But for those people that it's that it can work for, they need to find a specialist dentist who can make one of these appliances. Um, and so certainly that takes away a lot of the, you know, you can travel with it. It's really small. It doesn't make any noise. There's no like extra equipment to replace and all that kind of stuff. So some people really like those. Then that Inspire implant with the tongue moving thing. So the woman that I was talking about um, earlier who had the cognitive impairment, she actually she couldn't she was struggling with panic attacks and a lot of anxiety and really had claustrophobia with wearing any sort of mask on her face and so after a certain time they were like oh there's this thing called an inspire implant you can get it to move your tongue out and it's like literally has a remote control which kind oh of turns it on at night wow. and it just is like an involuntary movement of your tongue is so it working for of, her yeah, it's oh, nice. literally given her life back. Oh, I love that. Okay, she so had yeah, there's a options. Year where she was struggling, so she was on CPAP and then BiPAP. So CPAP is like continuous pressure. BiPAP is one different pressure for breathing in and breathing out. And she found both of them awful. She just was not getting any sleep. She couldn't work. She felt terrible. And then she got this implant, and within a couple of weeks, she was like oh like night and day she felt so much better wow. so yeah so then it's worth just saying that there's a bunch of other things that we need more research about 
but I did interview somebody who trains people in playing the didgeridoo. Um, so I don't know if you know what that is. It's a long, like Australian kind of tube that oh. people play. It's like a, a an instrument. Okay. And it, it tones and strengthens all of the muscles in the side of your airway. That makes sense. And so he has like a special program where he trains people to play the didgeridoo to treat their sleep apnea essentially. Oh, how fun is that? Now they've got they've had exactly one research study which they did in the UK a while ago. There's not a lot of money in didgeridoo research. Right. Um, but in that limited N equals study, one, right? <laughs> yeah. And so in that study, um, it definitely showed an improvement in people's AHI from playing the didgeridoo, but you have to be dedicated. So like if you're a person who really wants to play the didgeridoo every day for 30 minutes, that could really help, right? Mm, okay. It might be worth a try. Yeah. And then there are other things like, um, so myofunctional therapy is similar. So the myofunctional therapy is um, all to do with your tongue placement and having okay. your tongue strengthened and in the right place to support nasal breathing. Yes. And so if your tongue is in the correct place, then the chances are it's not falling back and blocking your airway and that can improve things that can especially improve things for children yes so if children are mouth breathing at night it could be doing some myofunctional therapy exercises helps them to keep their tongue strong and out of their airway and that might be you know enough to solve the problem so again there's not enough research on myofunctional therapy but like there are there are a bunch of the other thing i just want to quickly mention is um ENTs like ear, nose and throat doctors, there are certain surgeries, like if people have giant tonsils, and that's certainly, I think, one of the factors that fed into me developing sleep apnea. So I had ginormous tonsils that were like almost touching, and I didn't have them removed till I was 19. So I'd had like, you know, a compromised airway that whole time. Yeah. And so people who go and see an ENT, they might be able to say there's a, an anatomical reason why your airway is so easily blocked. So removing tonsils can sometimes help, but like that's again, like not everybody's going to want to do a surgery, but it's nice to have the option to go and consult with somebody. It's just nice to have options options in general. Yeah. And I hope that gives those listening hope that let's say you think you have sleep apnea, because I think some people, they think they have it, but they don't want to wear that godforsaken CPAP. So they will not That's go get the sleep study. I really think yes. so. They avoid oh, yeah. even getting the sleep study because they yes. assume that the only option if they do have it is that right. CPAP. And we now have so many different options available to us. And maybe it doesn't completely get rid of it. But honestly, if we can have a reduction of 50, 60, 70% for the, if maybe CPAP is not the only option or the best yeah. option, that is so much better from a health yeah, perspective definitely. than just not treating it at all. I really, yes. and I believe this for both CPAP, or I'm sorry, for sleep apnea and for upper airway resistance and sleep disorder breathing. Yes. I just don't think it should ever go untreated. I, I right. really truly believe that. So you are such a wealth of knowledge. I love it. <laughs> Were you going to say something? All I was going to say was there's, this would be an entire other podcast episode. Um, but there's definitely this whole debate about weight loss and oh, yes. sleep apnea. So they're definitely, for some people, weight loss can 
helps with that. Because it has to do with neck girth, I believe, and also tongue. For some people, but not for everybody. Right. So There's they, lots of really thin people who have sleep apnea. Lots of really thin people. So when I was undiagnosed all those years, I was, you know, the BMI thing was exactly where it needs to be. And, and mine was that I had this compromised airway, a lot to do with mouth breathing as a child, um, you know, and, and developing terrible habits my tongue wasn't in the right place and I just wasn't breathing correctly during the day and I think that that fed into it but certainly I've had a CT scan and my airway is really compromised so I could be as thin as anything and still have sleep apnea thank you for bringing that up I think that is a good point yeah so that that, that's a lot of people so I think that there's also this chicken or egg thing right Mm -hmm. where to me, what you want to do is get into some sort of treatment where you're getting oxygen to your brain, you're feeling a little bit better during the day. I think that oftentimes doctors are saying, lose weight and improve your sleep apnea that way, especially mm-hmm. for these people with lower AHIs. Yeah. And they're saying, I'm exhausted all, all the time. Like, yeah. it's difficult to make the right food choices and and it when you're that tired and you're walking through your life trying to make it to bedtime like I remember all through my 20s I craved sugar like all afternoon because I was trying to stay awake yes so my thing is find some treatment that works for you and then honestly the the weight thing will probably take care of itself because I mean of course there's effort and like you know lifestyle changes but I think if you're coming at it from some well-rested, you know, sleep and some oxygen in your brain, you're going to do better with those lifestyle changes. I think that's actually part of the lack of diagnosis personally, especially even for me. I remember I'm not the typical profile for sleep apnea. The typical profile is a male in his 40s who's overweight. That is a typical sleep apnea profile. Yeah. And thank goodness I have an amazing doctor who first doctor like we talked about that in your episode in 10 years who said it could be a sleep sleep breathing issue yeah because i think that is partly why they looked at me and said well you're not the typical profile so i don't think you have i i think that what we think the typical i think that it's the tip of the iceberg yes right i I think the the profile needs to widen quite a bit because i'm learning and meeting so many people that i would never ever think had any kind of sleep apnea sleep disorder breathing yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. That, I mean, that's all I do all day, right? Is talk right. to people <laughs> right. who are like, I mean, I've interviewed athletes and, yeah. you know, who have gone undiagnosed for years because doctors have said to them, you're so healthy, you're so fit. It definitely can't be that. There's no way. <laughs> that would be an older, overweight man, yes. right? Yes. And so these, these like really fit women who absolutely have sleep apnea are being overlooked and go undiagnosed for so long because of that. So 1, I think the more percent. we can change this, the conversation around who has sleep apnea, mm. the better. Such a good, such a good note to end on. Thank you so much. I love your brain. You have so much good information. I love our tangents about life too. I just, I think that was I a really a lot important of tangent. tangent. It's good though. <laughs> we, I, we touched on things that matter and that we need to have dialogue around as much as possible yeah one of the questions we love to ask all of our guests is what is something that you do every day to keep you feeling your best 
I already talked about my walk, but I just think that's so central. So no matter which day it is, I leave the house and I walk. So I'll put my children on the bus and then I don't go home. I just stay, you know, like I've already got my running shoes on and I just walk. And I do usually like two and a half miles and I do it every single day, whether it's raining or whatever the weather's like. I just build it into my schedule. Like there's just nothing, you know, before the time that I'm back for that. I just, and it's, it's just vital. I feel completely different. If I go on vacation for two weeks and, you know, like we just were in Scotland in the dark, rainy weather and I got out of that habit, it's just, it makes me feel really depressed. <laughs> As a fellow walker, I totally agree. Yeah. It is, it is so life-changing when you, like we talked earlier, go into it with that intention, 100%. How can people best connect with you? Where can they find you? Okay, well, thanks for asking. Um, on So so really where I spend most of my time online is Instagram. So it's Sleep Apnea Stories on Instagram. Um, and if people the show want notes to check too. out my podcast, it's Sleep Apnea Stories. So yeah, you can search. I mean, it's on every, all the platforms. So people can search it there and anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before we go any additional nuggets of wisdom anything that popped up for you as we rounded things out i mean i would just definitely say um don't hesitate to advocate for yourself and get a sleep study if you you know anyone to me that has eight or nine hours sleep at night and wakes up and is exhausted and goes through their day sleepy there's something not right with your sleep and you need to go and get a sleep study. Mm. Mic drop. (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) That was like the perfect way to end. Thank you again. This has been so much fun. I know that our listeners are going to gain so much knowledge and wisdom and value from our conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.